So they always make fun of me because I start every service by saying, all right. You guys have probably noticed that. So I was going to say it, and then I stopped myself. So I'm not going to say it. My resolution for 2022 is not to say all right whenever I get ready to talk. So, all right, we're so glad you guys. Did I say it? See? It's like my brain just doesn't work. And so we are so glad you guys are here with us, tuning in online or if you're here in the room. I don't know if you guys are tired, but I am exhausted. And uh, so we're going to get through this together. And so I'm excited to start this new year. A lot of exciting things that we got in the works. If you're new uh, or if you've been here for a while, the best way to stay connected is download the app. There's a ton of stuff coming up in January for kids, students. We're relaunching small groups. We're starting the What is the uh, Bible class again. So all kinds of stuff. Download the app so much. Uh, it's also the best place to give if you want to partner with us in 2022 financially. Uh, it's the best place to give. You can set up recurring giving or give from week to week. Uh, again, last, last week, uh, some guy just came up and handed me money out in the lobby. Don't do that. Um, there's offering boxes outside or set up the app because it looks weird and it's just a weird thing. So uh, do that. But there's, there's giving boxes at the main entrances where you can set up online giving. So we have been in this series in between. We got this week and next week, and next week we'll land the plane. You don't want to miss it. We're going to connect everything that we've talked about the entire time. Uh, and so today is going to be kind of a standalone, uh, but with New Year's, something that I thought we should talk about. And so we've been asking the question every week, um, do you get the feeling the world isn't the way it's supposed to be? And so what I want to do today is stop talking about the world a little bit and talk about us. And what I want to say is, do you ever get the feeling that your life isn't the way it's supposed to be? And what happens is, especially in New Year's, we start setting resolutions, and I don't know how many of you guys set resolutions, or, you know, a lot of us, we stop doing that because we start one, and then by February, we've already given up on it. But I do say that, at least for me, every year as the calendar changes over, my mind changes a little bit, and I become optimistic about what could happen for 2022. And as I kind of talked about on, on Christmas, um, I'm really hoping that this is a better year than last year, right? And I hope it way better than 2020. Um, you've got to be optimistic about this. And I hope that you are optimistic not only about our culture and our world, but more importantly, you're optimistic about yourself and what you can do with this year that's coming up. And, and so I want to challenge this with a few thoughts as we transition from one year into the another. And I want to start by telling a story. It's an interesting story. And the main part of the story, the main detail of it, we're actually going to talk about. We're going to talk about the question that gets asked during this story. And it takes place in John chapter 5. Um, and it's this interesting story between Jesus and this guy. And so we're going to read the scriptures together, starting in verse 1. It says, Later Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special feast. In Jerusalem there was a pool with five covered porches, where it's called Bethsaida in the Hebrew language. The pool is near the Sheep Gate. Many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind, some were crippled, and some were paralyzed. A man was lying there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw the man and knew that he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? Now, what's interesting about this story is the belief is, so to set you up a little bit of what's going on, the belief was that at this pool, that at certain points in the day, an angel would come down and actually stir up the waters and if you were one of the first people to get into this pool after the angel had kind of stirred up the waters, then whatever you had, the ailment or whatever sickness you had, that you could be healed. Which sounds kind of crazy, right? 
Okay, but these people believe this, and maybe some crazy things that happened. There's all kinds of studies out there or thoughts about what this could have happened. It could have been like a natural spring or something. There might have been some healing waters there and that. But for whatever reason, these people are lying out there. And this guy in particular has been laying there for 38 years. So I just turned 40 this year. And, and so when I was thinking about this, I was like, for almost my entire life, this guy has been laying by this pool hoping something would happen and something would change. And for 38 years, it hasn't. And it got me thinking about our lives too, like how many of us spend so much time and energy hoping things are going to change and yet we keep doing the same things over and over again. And then Jesus comes along and he asks this interesting questions. Do you want to be well? Now, the word well there is actually the same word that we'd use for whole. Do you want to be whole? Which, when you think about it, it sounds kind of insensitive, doesn't it, for Jesus to say this to a guy that's been laying there for 38 years? Like, obviously, this guy wants to get better, or else he wouldn't be there for 38 years. But there's a problem with this guy's thinking, and Jesus is going to kind of address this. And so the sick man answered, verse 7, Sir, there is no one to help me get into the pool when the water starts moving. When I'm coming to the water, someone else always gets in before me. And so he's been lying there. He can't get into the pool. So whatever is wrong with him, for some reason, he can't get into the pool. And someone always gets what he wants. And so he's unsatisfied, he's sick, he's complaining. And, and, and you would sit there, and we don't know exactly what was wrong with this guy, but you have to kind of sympathize with him. And so Jesus kind of sounds insensitive. Um, but the reality is, is he's got the excuses. He's got the excuses as why he's been doing this. He's got the excuses why nothing has changed. I read a book recently that I recommended, uh, Eugene Peterson, Living Well, and in it he talks about this idea that in this same story, he says, the guy says, I have no one to put me into the pool. In other words, no one will help me. Now, this may be true, but when we think about it ourselves, this is the excuse that we use. I can't get better because nobody will do it for me. And you could almost hear self-pity and, and perhaps that he was even blaming others for continuing this kind of pattern in his life. And it's so easy to find support our, our, our present condition. And, and what's interesting is when Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well, the guy didn't respond, I want to be healed. He just gave excuses as to why he couldn't be. Because sometimes it's easier to be dependent, not better, but easier, not more meaningful, but easier, not more satisfying, but easier. And sometimes it's easier to kind of live in that same pattern than to actually think about the hard work of making something change. So for 38 years, same thing over and over and over again. And then in verse 8, this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately the man was well. He picked up his mat and began to walk. Now, obviously, Jesus has done some type of miraculous thing to this guy to where he's able to get up and walk. Again, we don't know totally what was wrong with the guy. But I love the sentiment of this idea that Jesus gives that I think not only in this miraculous healing, but also applies to our life. So many of us stay in the same pattern over and over and over again, waiting for something to come along and change, waiting for others to give us different circumstances so that we can change. 
And Jesus is very direct here. He just looks at the person and he says, just get up. Just get up and go walk. Doing the same thing year in and year out. There's this quote, and we don't know who said it. Many attributed to Einstein, but as I did research, I found that it actually wasn't Einstein that said it. It's this idea that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something to change. And so here's the question as we go into this next year, but forget about the calendar. Just think about where you are in your life. And the question is asked by Jesus, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? And each of us individually have to ask that question and then answer it. Do we want it to be better than what it was? Or do we want it to be the same thing over and over again? Right? For example, New Year's is coming up. So just like many people in this room, one of my goals this year is to lose a little bit of weight. Right? Now, that is a good goal until you look at the way that I eat. Right? Um, I went to, we took a trip. So my kids had this brilliant idea that we love. So they don't want Christmas presents anymore, which is great because Christmas is just over the top. But what we do is we take a family trip the week after Christmas. And so we went down to Destin, Florida for a couple days this week. And if you've ever been down there, the food is amazing. And I had this goal of losing weight and it was great until I ate that 16 ounce steak with baked potato and fried onion rings and all the stuff that came with it. And then the next night I had shrimp tacos um, that were deep fried, but there were tacos and there were shrimp. So I thought it was healthy, you know? And, And so we have this goal of losing weight, but then yet we eat the same stuff over and over again, right? Or we want to be better at finances, right? We, we, want to, we want to get our finances in order, right? We want this year to be the year that we get rid of our debt and, and we don't make... But then that came out, right? I don't know what that is for you, but something came out that you just feel like you have to have. Or, or like for me, I do. I love to eat out. I, I love the experience of it. Um, I love eating out with my family. Um, I'm the cook in my house, so I also love not having to cook, right, that evening. And so, um, you know, or I love to travel. I mean, we, we talk about, I love to travel. Traveling is not cheap and it's not free. I wish it was. My daughter asked this week, would we travel more if it was free? And I was like, yep. You know, like that, that's a silly question, but, but it's just, it's, so we want all of this stuff and yet we keep doing the same things. Or maybe for some of us, you want to be closer to God. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to someone talk for 30 minutes every week and you're singing the songs and you're doing all the things that you're doing. You want to. And so you you do this, but then when you get to your regular routine of life, this is kind of the oddity in your life. Everything else doesn't have anything to do with God. You just do this. And so it's part of it is this idea that, that we have this idea of what we want But then when it comes to the practical ways of doing it, we don't. Eugene Peterson in his book on living well, you're going to hear me quote it a few times. You might as well just go and buy it. So uh, he says this. He says, we are born with instinctual, instinctual drive toward excellence. We grow towards wholeness. We reach for the best. We have a thirst for goodness, a hunger for righteousness. And therefore, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly. Not so wickedly, but insanely. Not so cruelly, but stupidly. I think that's a great question and a great idea that none of us, when we start our life, we're like, man, I can't wait to mess this up, right? I can't wait to be, you know, this and, and have all these problems later on in life. And, and so the question is, why don't we make it better? Why don't we answer the question, well, do you want to get better? Yes. Do you want your life to be whole? Yes. Then why don't we get up, pick up our mat, 
and do it. And the reason we don't do it is because it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It's difficult to change patterns in your life. It's difficult to start new things. It's difficult. But I've learned that almost everything worth doing in life is difficult, especially at first. I've told you guys the story um, before. I, I ran track and cross country during high school. And, um, and I did it really because I liked a girl and she was on the cross country team. But, um, but I did it. And I, when you're in high school, you can just start running. Like, I don't know if you know this. And in your high school, you can just start running. And it's not really that big of a deal. And so about 10 years have went past since high school. So I'm about 28 years old. And my health is not great. I'm a little bit overweight, and um, I'm just not feeling good. And so I decided, hey, you know when I felt the best was like when I was 18, which is a stupid thought, first of all. When I, I felt the best. Of course, you felt the best when you were 18. So I was like, you know what? I need to start running again. And so I, I'd literally look at my wife and say, hey, I'm going to start running again. And she's like, okay, go do it. Good job. She knows me. I like pick up stuff and then quit. And so she's like, go do it. And so I put on my New Balances, uh, put on some shorts, and I took off down our street. And after what felt like forever, I stop, and I'm like, man, I just ran so far. And I look down at my watch. It's been three minutes and 45 seconds of running. I immediately, this is the true story, I immediately looked at my neighbor's house. We were, I was 12 houses down. I threw up in their front yard, <laughs> and I ran back home. But I didn't give up. And so day after day, I went a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And it was hard at first, but everything worth doing is often hard at first. The other reason that we don't like to change is not only is it hard, but for many of us, we have the excuse, I don't have time. I don't have time to change. I don't have time to introduce new things. I don't have time. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to exercise. I'm too busy to read my Bible or read a new book or study or cook or get together with new people or have coffee with people. I'm just too busy. About a decade ago, they said that on a daily maximum, about a day, decade ago, we spent an average of four to five hours on screens. So that could be a computer, that could be a TV screen. Um, back then, a decade ago, it's hard to think about this, but it wasn't what it was today. Um, and so you might spend four to five hours a day on a screen. A new study came out, and they said the average person, so this is average, this isn't the low end, this isn't the high end, the average person spends nine to ten hours a day on a screen. Now, you might be like, well, I don't do it. Really? Think about how easy it is. I mean, right, I, I remember, like, I mean, does anybody even go to the bathroom without their phone anymore, right? <laughs> and what should take, like, two minutes is a 45-minute, you know, thing, right? I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Amazon, YouTube, whatever it is. So if you have an iPhone, I don't know about Androids because they're dumb, but iPhones have this brilliant <laughs> thing called screen time that you can set up. And on screen time, you can look at how much time you spend on your screen, and I'm going to tell you the first time you do it, it's going to be embarrassing. But we don't have time, right? But what if we weren't on our phones or watching that show that we can watch some other time or binge watching or doing whatever? There's a new study that came out too. And I said, well, I'm on phone. I'm on my screen for work. There's a new study that came out just two years ago, and they said that because of technology and because of things, what used to take an hour may only take about 15 minutes now when it comes to work. 
looking up files, looking up documents, doing research, typing things, whatever it is, it takes less time. And so you can't use time as an excuse. And so it may be hard, I get it, but most things in life worth doing are hard at first. And the excuse, I don't have time. Well, that's not really a good excuse because we have so much time that we waste. And so here's my, my challenge for us, and I'm only, this is my challenge for myself, but I'm going to extend it to you, and you could ignore it and be like, well, that guy was dumb. But, it, but here's the thing. Um, there's 106 days till Easter, so roughly 100 days. And so the question I've asked myself is I realize it's daunting to think about committing to something for an entire year. But for 100 days, what can you do? I remember there was a popular exercise thing that came out a, a few years ago called P90X. Did anybody ever do P90X? Tony Horton, did you stir your stoop or whatever that was at the cool down? Only people that didn't understand that one. But um, I did it, and it, it was awesome. And I felt so great. And I lost weight, and I felt stronger. And at the end 90 days, I was like, this is awesome, and I never did it again, right, <laughs> ever. And so here's the thing. What could you actually do for 100 days? What are some things that you could challenge yourself with? Not the whole year. I get that's hard. But just 100 days. So today, I want to be real practical. And so going into this next year, here's eight things that I'm doing that I hope that maybe some of you can glean some of these um, for yourself. But eight things that I think would be beneficial to all of us, not only as individuals, but also as Christians, to consider. So the first one is that, that, that I do, and I know a lot of people don't have time, is to read more good books. Notice I said good, Okay. Good books. C.S. Lewis once wrote, clearly one must read every good book at least once every 10 years. Considering the fact that there's thousands upon thousands of good books, this makes it hard. A few weeks ago, we recommended some, some of our favorite reads of the year on our Divinely Uninspired podcast. And there were some great books on there that we, we talked about. So find something that works for you and read it. And I know some of you aren't readers, okay, and, and I get that, okay, but, but, but because of technology, again, you can listen to an audiobook, you can listen to podcasts about books, but find something that stimulates your mind. There's this great study that came out a couple years ago and it, by Harvard, and it said it's, it was a study basically about the ways that reading actually enhances your life. Not only does it make you obviously smarter, but it actually can make you happier, it can make you more insightful, just taking some time to read. And again, you don't have time. Instead of being on Twitter, okay, or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is when you're pooping, all right, why don't you pull up a book and read it for a little bit, okay? I know that's crude, but it's reality, all right? So take some time to read. Read some good books for 100 days. I don't care if it takes you 100 days to read the same book. Just take some time and read. The next one is this, to challenge my own presuppositions more often. Now, some of you don't even know what presuppositions is, but presuppositions is the idea of beliefs that you hold on to that are kind of already there. Some of these are things that we believe we don't even know where we got it from. It's just stuff we believe. And a lot of it, what's crazy about presuppositions is a lot of it is stuff you will go to your grave arguing and you don't even know why you believe it or where you even got it from. We talked about this in length on last week's podcast, Divinely Uninspired. It's the last time I'll mention it, I promise, the service. But it's important to do this, right? I mean, think about the world that we live in, the headlines, the ongoing current events in our world, in politics, in life, in culture, and then in the church. And a lot of us, we have these views that we've just always held on to about how the way the world works and the way the world ought to be. And some of those views are being challenged, and so sometimes what we have to do is ask the question, well, why are those views being challenged? Is there any validity to those things? 
is there any validity to what someone else is saying, even if I don't like it, even if I don't agree with it, right? It helps me to understand not only the world the way that I see it, but also to understand the way the world is seen by other people. A couple years ago, I decided to read the most popular books on atheism in the world. And I landed on three. And this is true. They're actually in my, in my office. The first one is Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great, Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, and Sam Harris' The End of Faith. These books were brutal. And there were times, especially with the Sam Harris book, I would just read it and just take it and throw it at the wall, right? Because he made me so mad with what he was saying. At the same time, he also made some really good arguments and points for the way that he sees the world. And it really set me on this wrestling point of challenging some of the things that I just said I believed and never asked the question, why do I believe those things? Why do I think those things are important? Right? We talked this week on the podcast again about this idea of deconstruction, about sometimes what we have to do is not only with faith, but take a look at our lives and the beliefs that we hold on to and ask some tough questions about those things. And you may come out on the other side completely still believing the same stuff. That's okay. At least you did the hard work of challenging some of those things. Listen, we should not understand God and Jesus the same way you did as a kid. You just shouldn't, right? It's different. Our understanding of these things are different. And some of us have questions that we're scared to ask, but they're in there. And what I found is that the more questions that I ask, the more I realize that other people are asking those same questions. And there are sometimes great answers to some of those questions, but I never would have discovered those things if I hadn't taken the time to challenge some of my thoughts that I held so tightly onto. So read some good books. And maybe when you're reading those books, challenge some of the thoughts that you've already had about faith and life and love and all of those things, but maybe even about yourself and who you are. The next one, again, really practical, is I want to share more meals with people. We are all busy. I get it. We're all busy. We don't have time. We've already brought up that excuse. And so it's a lot of times it's easier just to go through the drive-thru, right? My son played football for the first time this year. It's every night of the week. And it takes up two and a half hours every single night, and it's insane. And, and we were on the go, and my daughter's doing volleyball and tumbling and all of this stuff. And so it's so easy for us most nights of the week just to be like, oh, we don't have time to do this. So we're just going to go through a drive through We're going to eat in the car. We're going to eat when we get home, and everybody's going to bed, you know. Take some time and share a meal with your family, even if you only do it one or two nights a week. But not just with your family. Isn't it interesting that most of the big moments of life, so you maybe never thought about this, but almost all of the big moments of life that we experience together as people are often tied directly to a meal. Think about it. Birthdays, weddings, and even funerals. There's always a moment at the end where we get together and we share a meal with the people that we love. And those are the experiences in life. There's almost like this sacredness to them. And so if there's like this sacredness and this moment of like remembering together and spending time together, why do we only save it for those times? I have done so many funerals, even funerals for people in my family and been to funerals where at the end of it, the sentiment is, I wish we'd done this more often. Why don't you? Why don't we share more meals with other people? Listen, I love to eat. I love to meet new people. And my goal is to share more meals with more people. 
to share people with meals with people you love more often, to share a meal with people that are different than you, so maybe you can challenge the world in the way you see it. And if we're willing to do that, just take some time and break some bread and drink some wine, which is like the central theme in the whole New Testament. Maybe we'll all come out a little bit better because of it. And while we're sharing meals with people, maybe our conversation can be uplifting and generous and exciting. And instead, we don't do more of this. So the next one is this. Maybe we should learn to complain less and do more. We love to complain, don't we? Don't raise your hand, but I know you do, okay? We are guilty of it all the time. And the reason we complain is because we see something broken. That's what this whole series has been about. We see something broken in our culture. We see something broken in the politics of this world. We see something broken in the, the way that the world works. We see stuff broken in the church and the government and people's lives and personal relationships. We see things broken in each other. And so it's very natural when we see things that aren't the way we think they should be, we complain. Here's the problem with complaining in case you don't know. Complaining only offers momentary relief from the frustration. That's all it does. You might feel better for a little bit because your voice was heard and you got to get it out. But working on solutions to the problems in this world can actually fix the things that are broken, not just complaining about them. And not just complaining about who people actually are. Do you ever just complain about people? but you never tell it to them? Anybody in this room do that? You complain about the way somebody behaves, the way they treat somebody, the way they do things, but you never take the time to actually go to the person and share your thoughts. And then we wonder why nothing changes. It's hard. And, and listen, I get that you might be like, okay, well, here's the pushback. I can't change the world. I can't change Washington. I can't change what's going on at the CDC, whatever they're doing now, all right? I can't change any of that. You're right. You probably can't. But you can change your world, and you can change the way that you respond to things, and you can change the, listen, when you hear your kids start to say some of the things that you're complaining about, you should be like, oh, no, right? Okay, there's something wrong. And so maybe we need to complain less and actually do more to fix the things that are going on. And while we're talking about things we're good at that actually don't change anything, maybe some of us in this room, me included, should spend less time worrying. We worry about so much. Corey Timboom in The Hiding Places has this famous quote, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Jesus, thousands of years ago, told us something that modern science is just now catching up with. And it's this, worrying doesn't add anything to your life. It actually takes away from it. There's actually studies out there that the more you worry, the, less, the more likely you are to have some type of disease, heart disease, cancer in your life that could actually shorten your life. So does worrying do us any good? And I get it. Don't get me wrong, okay? I understand that when somebody wears a mic and tells you not to worry, the thing that most of you do in this room, you start to worry more, right? I get that it's not helpful to tell you that. But maybe you should really wrestle with the hard things and ask yourself, does worrying actually do anything? Is it making me better? Again, what's the question? Do you want to get better? Do you want to be whole? And if you do, then you have to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
And maybe the reason we complain so much and worry so much is because we don't do enough of this next one. And this next one is, and this is going to sound weird for a pastor to say this, but you know what I need to do? I need to pray a whole lot more. Oh, never mind. That's my fault, Rusty. Go off that screen. All right, but that one's coming up. All right, I need to pray more. It's New Year's, all right? It's easy to pray less when you have lots of things to do, but really, life should be the opposite way. Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And his idea was, I have so much to do that could stress me out, that could bring me anxiety and worry and feel like I'm not doing enough. So instead of focusing on that stuff, I'm going to spend three hours in prayer. James, the brother of Jesus, when he writes his, his letter in the Bible, he says this, is anyone among you suffering? Let him prayer. pray. Prayer is often the last thing that we do when it should be the first resort. Not the second, not the third, but the first. We normally think of it as the last resort when we've exhausted everything else, but it should actually be the first. No matter how busy we become committing to spend more time in prayer, even if it's on your commute, even if it's on your drive, whatever it is, take more time to pray and connect to God and what he is already doing. Now, the next one is the one that you already saw. Um, one of the things that I need to focus on, and probably you, is I need to cut some people some slack. I need to cut other people some slack. In the social media era, when everyone's opinion gets a platform, it's easy to be upset. It's easy to be angry over what people say and what they don't say and what you agree with and what you don't agree with. It's so easy to just be angry all the time. And it's easy to be offended about everything that you see in relationships, in the workplace, in the church. And maybe what we need to do is just relax. And here's, let me go and tell you this. Um, there is more than likely going to be a time that I mess up or say something stupid to someone in this room. In fact, the betting odds are pretty good it's going to happen, okay? And I would probably say the same is true of you. And, and here's what I know. When I mess up, when I say something stupid, when I do something stupid, do you know what I want? I want you to be patient and understanding and forgiving. And if that's what I want when I mess up, and that's what you want when you mess up, why would you not offer someone the same? Why, when they mess up, do we immediately just get enraged? Why, when we, they mess up or they hurt us, all of a sudden, all of the weight of all of the pain of all of the world lands on us? This thing called the golden rule, it's treat others the way that you want to be treated. I heard recently someone complaining about what was perceived as someone talking about them behind their backs, which is terrible. But by the way, just in case you don't know this, talking behind someone's back is childish and stupid and harmful to everyone involved. So just don't do it. There's your resolution, okay? And, and when they found this out, they were so outraged. And do you know what they did? <laughs> they went behind that person's back and talked about them. Because that solves the problem, right? Why do we do this? Why, why do we do all these things? Maybe we should learn to cut others slack, to not get so enraged about everything. There's this brilliant teaching that James gives us. He talks about if you want to live a wise and good life. And here's what he says in James chapter 3. But the wisdom that comes from God is first all pure, then peaceful, then gentle, and easy to please. 
The wisdom is always ready to help those who are troubled and do good for others. It is always fair and honest. Ready? People who work for peace in a peaceful way plant a good crop of right living. What James is saying is if you want to be someone that has a life that's planting a good crop of right living, of good life, you need to learn to make peace with other people, which means maybe you need to learn to cut some people some slack, right? Maybe the next one is, for some of you, even more important than cutting other people slack is you need to cut yourself some slack. You need to learn to allow yourself to have some space. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We've all failed. Welcome to being a human being. You're going to mess up. You're going to do things wrong from time to time. When you mess up, the best thing to do, ready for this? It's simple, is to own it. Don't blame others. Seek whatever forgiveness you need if you need to seek forgiveness from somebody and move forward. That's it. All of us in this room are going to do stupid things and say stupid things we're going to mess up. You're going to set goals for yourself. Listen, most of you in this room, if you even try to do 100 days of doing something good in your life, at some point you're going to mess up. That's okay. It's okay. And, and maybe what we need to learn to do for some of us is to cut ourselves some slack. And when we do that, we rest in the grace that God gives us. See, I think one of the reasons that we're so hard on us sometimes is because we feel like we've let people down and maybe we feel like we've let God down. There's this great, great quote from Surprise, Surprise, Eugene Peterson, and he says in his book, he says, in the course of growing up and finding our way in the world, we accumulate a lot of guilt, don't we? We assume that God, if there is a God, is just waiting for the right time to let us have it, to punish us, and to put us in our place. And then Jesus tells us the surprising opposite. And so maybe you need to learn to cut yourself some slack and to rest in God's grace. And so, as a guy laying by a pool for 20, 38 years, just kind of wallowing in his pain and suffering, he knows what he wants, but he can't get it. And Jesus has to come along and do like this miraculous thing to make it happen. But here's what I know about most of us in this room. The change that we're looking for, it doesn't need a miracle. We just need to get up, pick up our mat, and walk. And so, what if you were able to put your phone down a little bit more and get some of your time back? What if you were able to invest in something that really matters, which is yourself, by the way, and you learned to rest in God's grace, even if it's only for 100 days? And so... Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well? And the response is not to come up with a lot of excuses. The response is, yes, I want to be well. My question for you is, what about you? Let's pray.